Y and Billy Penn, this is Hittin' Season, a Philadelphia Phillies podcast. My name is Justin Clue. I write for Baseball Prospectus and Billy Penn. With me is Liz Rocher of Yahoo Sports. Hello, Liz. Hello, Justin. Would you say the energy level I'm coming into this episode with matches the energy level of the various trade and free agent markets across baseball during the offseason? Absolutely not. Ah, yeah, I gotta be doing a lot of... Heavy lifting energy-wise, it's pretty dead out there. Until seconds before I clicked that record button, there had been very little to discuss across baseball. But, as Liz just informed me, a trade has just gone down between the San Francisco Giants and the Seattle Mariners. Robbie Ray is on the move to San Francisco, as you put it, in their efforts to remain aggressively mediocre. Liz, first thoughts on this deal? Uh, (laughs) ho-hum. Robbie Ray, a pitcher always, always in various conversations regarding trades, regarding free agent signings. Uh, He's always seems to be a a pitcher teams think they can use. He always seems to be suffering or coming coming back from like a bad year. 2022, he had a pretty good year uh, as far as Robbie Ray goes. Um, I think that was considered one of his... Not career-making, but generally new expectation-setting kind of seasons. Uh, he pitched in the ALDS against the Astros, gave up a walk-off three-home run to Jordan Alvarez, which is pretty much, in the end, how that got remembered, even though he went 12-12 and with a 371 ERA and led the majors in pickoffs with six. Not a bad stat for a starting pitcher in your rotation to have. Uh, he did only appear in one game in 2023, allowed five runs in three and a third innings, then uh, suffered a torn flexor tendon and missed the rest of the season. That is as sexy as it gets out there right now, folks, in regards to baseball moves. A man with a recently repaired flexor tendon headed to San Francisco. And Liz, you already gave us your thoughts on that, so I'm not sure there's much more to say (laughs) other than the Giants (laughs) did something after, you know, I feel like the past two or three years, the Giants are always the team that's like, well, we, we were in there. We, we we tried to get a, to get that guy, but he didn't come here, and, you know, darn it. Uh, but they got their guy this time, and apparently Robbie Ray was that guy. But elsewhere, in more important places like, I don't know, Philadelphia, things have been pretty quiet. Uh, I've seen a lot of comparisons to the 2019 offseason, Liz, and I gotta tell you, I don't feel like that's apt. That was Why a t- not? That was a time when we were waiting to see where Manny Machado would go, where Bryce Harper would go. And also, throughout that offseason, the Phillies made deals and trades. They acquired players, you know, key players like Gene Segura, Carlos Santana with Seattle. They acquired JT Real Muto from the Marlins. You know, all this in preparation to sign Bryce Harper, inevitably. And I would also say the biggest part of this is that the drama was waiting to see if they would sign Bryce Harper. Now, this offseason, the drama is, will they sign a guy who can play the outfield sometimes? And, I mean, yes, it's it's boring, and it's it's not, you know, it doesn't make for a lot of great conversations about the Phillies right now, but wouldn't you say it's better to be at this point where you're not figuring out how to become good with 
especially one of the more paltry free agent markets in recent years. And more that the Phillies are a team right now that's that's trying to get better with, with what's available out there and what trades they feel like they can make. Obviously, the fact that that's been nothing and no trades thus far is not great from an entertainment standpoint. But it is, you know, it is a good time to remind yourself that the Phillies aren't making moves because they don't have a lot of moves they have to make. Yeah. I mean, um, it is definitely better to be here now than to be where we were. I mean, in every way possible. I think back to those times with, with uh, I mean, I don't even remember. I, wa- I don't even want to remember. And uh, this is just so much better. And uh, I think it's just, uh, I mean, is it unintentional slash intentional collusion on behalf of teams that they're sort of freezing out free agents until now? Yeah, that's how it goes. That's how it's been going, like, they do this until spring training and they need to, you know, and everyone needs to fill out their rosters and the players get desperate and everyone goes the extra mile and meets in the middle of somewhere. You know, I, uh, I just finished Bill White's book uppity and the, the there's sections of that book that are great. Other sections that are kind of just retelling baseball, uh, contemporary or, or I guess not as contemporary history anymore, just from a different angle. But one of the things he talks about is, um, and you mentioned advertent or inadvertent uh, collusion as far as owners go. Uh, One of the things he mentioned that really stuck out to me is that uh, he was the president of the National League during a player's strike. And he was like, one thing I really noticed coming out of these is um, out of these instances, these parts of baseball history where it's players versus owners. He's like, the thing I noticed the most is that when the, when it's over, the players go back to work, but the owners hold on to every bit of anger they felt throughout the process. They hold grudges, yeah. they grumble, they plot ways to get everything back that they may have lost in the last round of negotiations. Uh, and there's that there, there is that very personal aspect to it for them. He's like, that is always that is typically the case. Like the players go back out there. They just want to play ball. They want to get back out there. They want everything to be over. They want to get what they want and they want to hold fast in, in what they're fighting for. But they ultimately do want to get back out on the field. The owners, they, they hold on to everything. Everything that happened in that negotiation room comes right with them when they walk out the door. And, you know, that's why I always think when, when we mention things like, oh yeah, you know, collusion, perhaps freezing out free agents, perhaps it may not be the big story right now, but stuff like that is happening all the time because owners just seem incapable of letting stuff like that go. Yeah. Incapable. Like in the, the smart players remember that, you know, they, they, they remember how they were treated and, you know, they make them pay later on, I think. And that's what happened. I, I think to JT real Muto. Mm. Remember, I think, I think he did kind of make Dombrowski, I think is one of his big first big moves pay through the nose for him a little bit. Because I think arbitration was kind of, it wasn't like openly contentious, but Romito was trying to set a record, and the Phillies prevented him from doing that. (laughs) Nice try, JT. Now, be the best catcher in baseball forever. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Well, And for us. Us, please. Exclusively, yes. Do not age uh, and suffer no health issues. I should. They should really start putting those things in these players' contracts. Like, you cannot get yeah, hurt. It's, it's that is not allowed. Huge oversight. <laughs> you need to live forever. So figure that out and uh, be 31 forever and uh, get back to us when that's possible. Then we will sign you to a lifetime deal. Uh, so 
just in regards to nothing really being on the table right now, as far as the Phillies go, it is being passed around that the Phillies are, you know, quote, aren't done. That's kind of the, the he- Phillies headline of the day, you know, which is obviously the dominating news story in this city as the Eagles head into their season finale. But in any case, uh, yeah, they aren't done, which I feel like, I mean, we knew that, right, everybody? Like, we knew, we knew like, when we said, oh, the Phillies don't have a lot to do or the Phillies can come back with largely the same team and still be a playoff contender and everything. No one was saying, yeah, let's just not fill Craig Kimbrell's spot and go to the postseason. Yeah, let's just not improve the team where we see spots to improve the team and go back to the postseason. Yeah, let's not get this this other guy, this bench bat they want to get. Let's just not do any of that and they'll be No, there was still things to do. We always knew yeah. they they were not done even though they have not made a move since November 19th when they re-signed Aaron Nola to a 7-year <laughs> extension. Uh, it is yeah, I mean again, I I, I I don't want to sound like I'm talking down to people who are suffering from lack of Phillies advancements right now. I am in the same boat as you. Yeah. It's just it's just the reality of the situation here. This was always the case. The Phillies were they were not done. They like I said, they don't have a replacement for Craig Kimbrell Ki- Craig Kimbrell yet, and they don't have their little outfield bat. A role that honestly, the more we hear about this role, uh, this other like bat the Phillies might be in the market for. It seems to shrink in importance, or at least mm-hmm. in tier of player expected <laughs> to fill it with every mention, to the point that it feels like whoever the Phillies get to fill that spot will fit in the palm of Rob Thompson's hand. They're just going to get like a pocket guy to be like, yeah, yeah, we signed <laughs> this little man we found. He's going to like go in the outfield sometimes, I think, or whatever. He's I forget. tiny. <laughs> <laughs> How tiny are we talking? Were we talking like actually that tiny? Are we talking like little, little dollhouse size? Uh, military men, are we talking like, I'm going to, like a reference to we'll get one of the quints, which are pretty small. I'm thinking like, uh, a guy small enough, he fits in a backpack and his little head can pop out. And like for those pregame pictures where all the players are walking, walking through the tunnel to, to come in for the game. So and, like the, the size of an American girl doll. Right. And, and that guy's just like in Bryce Harper's backpack as he's like coming into the stadium for the game today. Like that's the bench bat the Phillies wanted to get. How how would he impact the game? Do you think? How did he make it to the majors? Well, I mean, you yeah. need to tell me what his skill is. What does he do well? He's fast. Uh, he's deft in his movements. He can't he's cover a lot fast. of ground. But I was just gonna say he might be fast, right. but he's also slow. <laughs> He can, he's good at evading tags. So, like, he gets there very late, but he can <laughs> slip problem. through a guy's legs or around the tag or, you know, he's good at that. But or he can he hide under a glove and you just over. see a, a glove with little legs beneath it, like, running. And they're like, what's that? Why is that glove moving? Oh, my crap. Oh, crap. That's a guy. <laughs> you got to get that guy. A guy underneath, right. like a. <laughs> like the toys in Toy Story when they're crossing the street with the, with the cones on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like just a hat and moving around right exactly that's the level of guy the phillies want to get to fill this outfield role they have is that how we how are we characterizing this is it an outfield bat is that the way we're because that when 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 they said uh not tommy fam not that much then i started to think is bat really the way we are describing this because that sounds like not much of a bat like i'm seeing jock peterson's name thrown around by people with stars oh, in their sucks. eyes and i'm like i don't know no. i've heard of him so that seems to take him out of the running as far as the goal goes i don't know like i think they're gonna end up keeping exactly what they have and people are gonna lose their minds because it'll do it just be jake cave 
Well, it just seems like I mean, let's jump is in. Is he still with the Phillies? He is. The, oh, they doubled. Okay. They they re-upped on Jake Cave. Oh well, there? then it's. I love how they're like, we need another bench bat. Like that's a lie. It's to play left field. Stir- they want somebody who can play left field. That's what the role essentially boils down to. But the more they talk about Johan Rojas, the more it seems like mm, they do, they, they, Well, let's get into it because this kind of factors into what I'm talking about. Scott Lauber wrote in the Inquirer, uh, whatever the case, pitching depth may supersede anything else on the on the position player side, where the Phillies remain hopeful that Johan Rojas can reclaim the center field job and are cognizant of not signing an outfielder who would block his path. One thing is clear. Additional moves are coming. Despite not making a move since re-signing Nola on November 19th, the Phillies haven't put down their pencils. We're not at that point at all, Dombrowski said. It's just taking a little longer. No, we're not just satisfied. We want to get better. As we all know, Alex Coffey of the Inquirer wrote about the furious efforts of Rojas to get more reps in, fill out his end of the bargain. We know, I mean, at this point, where, where do you gauge the Phillies' investment in Rojas? It sounded like at the beginning of the winter that they were kind of taking maybe a, a tough love approach, saying that they liked him, but he needed to be a better hitter, and he didn't automatically have a job on the big club in 2024. Like, he, he was coming into spring training with a job to win. They liked his glove. They considered him, you know, maybe even favored him to have that role, but he couldn't have it if he, if he wasn't able to improve his uh, his plate approach and his ability to hit the ball. But now when they say, okay, Johan Rojas is impacting the level of player we're looking to acquire for this outfield role because we don't want this guy to be better than Rojas because then he would block him. Now it sounds like he's factoring into their plans to sign more players, which seems more impactful than than perhaps at the beginning of the offseason. I don't know. I mean, where where do you gauge the Phillies' investment in him at this point? I mean, I think the the I think they they're as invested in him as they always were going to be. But I think they look at the what Lauber said about pitching may drive necessity anyway, is that I think it's going to take most of what they have left for room to get a pitcher, the pitcher that they want or need. And so they'll sign someone who is worth very little. Like, we, you're right. We will not know his name. You will not know his name. Because a, real, a real John McDonald. Yes. <laughs> Who is that? Exactly. John Boker. <laughs> remember that guy? I'll remember that guy. Um, <laughs> uh, that's the type of guy they're looking for now. Because I think to sign the type of reliever they know they need, they need someone a little above Craig Kimbrell. Right? At, least, at least somebody who... Well, I mean, that's the thing about Kimbrell is that he was having a... Pretty terrific year for for chunks of the regular season. Those last two appearances really really shaded uh, people's opinion of him. And fair enough, like he, I think people are just tired of seeing guys who can't come up big in those moments where you need them to come up big. So I mean, he'd also had some problems during the season with consistency. Uh-huh. He had some some issues often enough that I was not sad to see him go. And I, you know, the, I don't think it would take much, but like to get better than him. But I also don't know who who they would target. Like you know who you've got someone you really want them to trade for. And if they do that, then they theoretically have more room to you know add an, an outfielder or a left fielder or whatever it is they need to do. Yeah, whatever it is they currently believe is their problem. Well, 
as is typically the case, as more moves are made, you're kind of getting a better idea of <clears throat> of where teams consider themselves. And, uh, and we're going to dive a little further into this in a minute. But the Braves obviously uh, made one of the only big trades of the offseason thus far when they just acquired Chris Sale from the Red Sox for Vaughn Grissom. And that was viewed in a, in a couple of ways. But one of the ways was the Braves were willing to send one of their their last position-playing prospect who could have made a real impact on their current team in 2024 to Boston in exchange for a pitcher who used to be very good, is not as good anymore, could be better than he was last year, and if he is, would really fill out their rotation in ways that have hurt them in the past. Oh, they're they're banking in on the postseason, it. Which kind of, to me, says leans a little further and like I'm not going to say this is this is 100% definitive of the Braves cuz they obviously think about the future but that did seem like a move that leaned a little more towards win now and when we talk about trading for this closer or this late inning reliever whoever it's going to be um you know obviously Josh Hader is still available but I don't think he really fits the Phillies mold uh and he would cost more money than any reliever available right now uh, yeah. but when you think about making that trade <clears throat> the Phillies are I think pretty interested in not not getting rid of a lot of top prospects, uh, a lot mm-hmm. of whom you can read about on the recently released top prospect list from Fangraphs. Uh, they're, they were the most recent outlet to release a, a list, uh, and I, I also want to talk about that in a minute as well. Andrew Painter is still at the top, despite everything, followed by mm-hmm. Mick Abel, and then Starlin Kaba is number three. I All believe right. he just played in the Arizona Fall League, I think think i'm going off pure name recognition so i could be wrong but in any case i think the phillies are, are less um interested in punting on some of these top prospects they've had for a couple of years now in exchange for certainly a, a closer or relief pitcher despite dave dombrowski's history but i think you're also just seeing a team like the braves start to lose their patience with the idea that like yeah look we know we can get to the postseason we obviously keep running into problems the past two years even though we did just win the world series in 2021 but these like you know these problems have persisted for two straight years. This is something we have to try to correct. But it's probably tough to even nail down what the problem is when you're that good and you just kind of lose in a limited five-game series or four-game series or whatever. Limited playoff series. So, I don't know. I guess my point here is in acquiring a closer, the Braves might be a little further down the line as far as filling in areas where they think they need to improve and therefore they're willing to give up a Vaughn Grissom in exchange for a Chris Sale because they're thinking, yeah, look, whatever at this point. Like, let's not knock the tower over, but I'm willing to take out a few pieces here because we're kind of sick of running into this wall. And meanwhile, the Phillies are like, yeah, you know, we're kind of, you know, it, it, we're also reaching that point, though. Like, we are, we have gone to the postseason twice. They've gone on two, ru- two deep runs. We are, we have failed both times uh and it's it, you know it's time to it's it, i think you're just seeing two different franchises reach this reach this point where they're like all right enough is enough we got to win and i'm curious to see what the phillies version of what the braves have has done is because it's going to be this move that gets them a closer yeah i think you're absolutely right and it has it it does have to be something it has to be something and i i agree i don't think it's it's hater unless you know, I mean I don't know how it is hater because they they really want a guy who's willing to be flexible and hater is not that guy Hater's a ninth inning guy he's one of those guys who who's just like no I pitched the ninth inning that's my job 
That's yeah. That's so annoying. Like, that so- is really <laughs> annoying. And you know, like, no, that's just not a guy that the Phillies want on their team. And that's not the type of attitude the Phillies, I think, want on their team. Well, even strategically, that's not how Rob Thompson uses his relievers. Well, so exactly. <laughs> Well, and that feeds into everything as well as team culture because it's a real next man up. Like, what do you need me to do? I will, you know, I will go today. This playoff appearance is my bullpen for my start in three days. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that. that's the type of guy that the Phillies want and need. And, if, you know, if they need their best guy in the eighth inning, then Hater has to get up and do it. And him saying no is... It is like an actual problem. Going to make some make some enemies on a, a real a real Billy Wagner kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. Well, in any case, uh, we also have seen it repeated that the Phillies' priority, roster-wise, is locking up Zach Wheeler. Do you think that's what the priority should be right now? Locking up a guy who still has another year before he is a free agent, but obviously has immense importance to this team as it stands? Yeah, they should get that done. It kind of it's feels just like... another piece of the puzzle in like if that's who they want, then they should just do it. Mm-hmm. You know, don't keep a, I mean, keeping anybody wondering is no good for anyone. They and the Phillies themselves. That's why they're also, I think, considering an extension for Bryce Harper. They just want to do you guys want to stay here longer. Do we have any complaints. What's up? Like what? What? Let's make sure we do what we have to do to keep everyone here. This core that we believe is important to us, you know, here as long as we can. This remains. You mentioned the Harper extension, which hasn't you know been a headline in a couple of weeks, but obviously is something that's still going on. This is just remains very funny to me. Like this is mm-hmm. it's weird, right? Like it's funny, weird, not in a bad way. Just like this guy who has already, as the deal stood probably playing his entire career in Philadelphia and now wants it to be even longer to guarantee what, like, what am I missing here? Is there some kind of like it's, tax uh, loophole or, or what? <laughs> it's the contract extension that I believe would end up being a renegotiation of the, of his contract because there are dudes like Otani making so much money now. And, you know, a few years, like the market has actually reset since Harper got his contract. So I, I think that's part of what this is about. Like a contract extension is about making sure that he gets exactly what he wants in his final years. I think probably including a personal services contract after everything is over. Because now, like this is this is the dude that we will... Like, I think we said this when he was signed. Like, this is the dude we will now be hearing about for the rest of our lives. Yeah. yeah. There will never be a day when we think about baseball where we don't think about this guy. I mean, ever. there's there's a chance that people who were, like, 20 when he signed here, like, their kids will grow up wearing Bryce Harper jerseys yeah. as well. Like, that's, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> well... We'll obviously talk more about that when that happens. Uh, but, yeah, every time that's mentioned, I'm like, oh, right. He was like, no, I can't play your duel on 41. I want to play your duel on 45. Let's get it done. And you're like, okay. End of the day, what's the difference? I mean, <laughs> Yeah, it, it really is like what's, what is the difference? So, you know, and I think he, he wants promises, but I think he also wants the ability to be the magnanimous party and be like, no, no. 
Like no, like I see how how me being forty eight and still DHing because everyone needs me to, uh, for you know forty five million dollars is hurting the team. <laughs> it's time for me to step back. Like he wants to be able to to be magnanimous. I think at a certain point with whatever it is, but. Well, in any case, like I said, when that goes down, we'll have more to say about it. Uh, until then, we just have the relatively quiet offseason landscape to discuss. And like I said, things did get a little spicy when the Braves traded for Chris Sale. They got a, a, a hair spicier when the Braves, of course, added an extension yes, to that. Yes, I wrote about that yesterday. I actually wrote about that on Thursday, and it, I was just like, okay, like this is just what the Braves do now, and they, yeah. Yeah, they, they not only brought him in, they reached a contract extension with him to keep him in Atlanta through 2025 and a team option for 2026. So not exactly the uh, earth-shattering contract extensions they've managed to lock up a lot of their core to, but as J.J. Cooper in ba- Baseball America wrote, now every starter on their roster is locked up through 2026 with a lot of them locked up through 2028. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> that's exactly the same thing the, the Phillies are trying to do. Like, if you have your... If you like the guys you have and you think they can be there for a little while, like you're, you want to lock them down so they don't try and go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, and nobody's going anywhere as far as Atlanta's concerned. Um, they, of course, would like to go a little further into the postseason. And that's kind of what I wanted to bring up here. I mean, this move to bring in Sale and then uh, give him a contract extension was lauded. First by, you know, the Braves beat, which is generally very favorable of the Braves. I mean, the Braves are a, a, an organization that has obviously become one of the best in baseball uh, and has a lot of great players and does a good job of keeping them in Atlanta when they choose to. Uh, but also their beat writers have a reputation for being giant Braves fans. Uh, and, and you saw that. You saw a lot of that when they brought him in. Yeah. With, oh, how creative and clever and aggressive this deal was. And, oh, they're just the smartest and best franchise that's mm. ever lived. And blah, 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 blah. But then when you have uh, Cooper from Baseball America, who I just mentioned, write about it, uh, there's potentially a slightly more objective take on things. And, and he wrote that um, the subtext is this. The Braves aren't focused on making the playoffs. They're focused on being ready to win in the playoffs. Yeah. Yes, who's been saying this? It yes. has been me. I'm sorry. I just have to point at myself right now. So with Sale being a gamble of sorts, you know, he has, uh, he has been incapable of staying healthy in Boston. Uh, he has not been the pitcher he once was. He is 34 years old currently. He will be 35, I think, in March. Um, you know, he's he's been through... Many things that have made him less of a frontline starter and more of a mid-rotation starter, which which is how the Braves uh, plan to use him. Mm-hmm. And as Cooper writes, he's thrown 151 innings since 2020. Yep. That's not a lot for a starting pitcher. He has been on the injured list nine times since 2018. Yes, so this for is things like a rib fracture, mm-hmm. COVID, and then pneumonia. Uh, a fractured finger, and then a fractured wrist that he got while he was out recovering from surgery on the fractured finger. So not necessarily like this isn't like oh he was out with like some, some forearm strains and then well you know. in twenty twenty three he was he missed a chunk of time though he did pitch the most innings he had in a few years he was out for a chunk of time with a shoulder issue. So 
knowing that's the case, and knowing as as Cooper writes, yeah, his um his stats have not been great, but he is bene- he he is a an attract attractive in the dreaded quote underlying metrics sense. So mm-hmm. what you're seeing is basically the narrative that the Braves looked around tried to find something that they could do, didn't like what was on the free agent market, started looking at the trade market, found this guy they felt they could get for a price they were willing to pay, saw something other teams did see, didn't see or did and decided not to value it as much as them. I mean, as far as I know, Chris Sale wasn't a big sexy trade target uh, across all the teams this year. So, who knows what actually happened, but in that case, the Braves went with Sale to address their issue of being able to win, but not when it counts. Now, we talk and watch and cover and discuss the team that has twice now knocked the triple-digit win Braves out of the postseason in the first round. Let's just enjoy that for a second. Yay! If everyone wants to pause the podcast and go watch highlight reels from the 2022 and 2023 NLDS, feel free to do that. I did that earlier. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's just like coffee. It's fantastic. Just, yeah, get you caffeinated for the rest of the day. Uh. Highly recommend. Um, That being said, if you're putting yourself in the other camp, on the other side of that, and you are a representative of the Braves, and you're thinking, all right, we have this problem. We have to fix a team that won 104 games, which doesn't sound like something you can do. So... Is acquiring Chris Sale for Vaughn Grissom, in your mind, let's try to remain objective here, uh, in your mind, is that addressing the problems the Braves have had when they have played the Phillies in the NLDS? I mean, why not? Uh, I mean, there's, it's like they're they're staring, it's just existential dread, it must be, for them and for the Dodgers, like, as they were faced with a similar problem. They won a bunch of games and were like, so how do we fix this problem? And their response, let's sign Shohei Otani and um, uh, Yamamoto, the pitcher, and trade for Tyler Glasnow. Like, good Lord. Like, that was their response. And that was entirely to attempt to make sure that their team in the postseason has what it takes And this is the Braves' response, (laughs) trading for Chris Sale, who I thought was, uh, no kidding, was 38. Yeah, I thought he was a little older, um, but you're right. I hadn't thought about that. The difference between these, the top two teams in the National League, their Mm -hmm. inability to to break through once they reach the postseason, the the Braves have chosen to be what feels like strategic, uh, following their same formula, but just in perhaps a new direction. Whereas the Dodgers are sticking with the tried and true, let's just throw all of our money over here <laughs> at these people, at, at these guys, and uh, and really just assume having the best players in the world will make us the best team in the world. I don't, I'm not making fun of that strategy. Mm. I think it makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, it is very different from what it feels like the Braves are trying to do. Because at the end of the day, you know, I've seen plenty of complaints from Braves fans about the NLDS where it was like, yeah, the bats just didn't show up or or the Phillies were a good matchup with the Braves. They had three really good three really good starters they could throw at the Braves uh, throughout the postseason in Wheeler, Nola and Ranger Suarez. But again, you're not going to be able to fix a team that led the league in batting average, that led all of baseball in hits and runs, and RBI. 
that was the only team to hit over 300 home runs co- collectively and the only team to slug over 500 collectively. There's not a lot of fixing there. It's more no. just like, guys, just just do that. Just keep doing that. Uh, and, you know, you got to hope that that, that that happens or that they watch a bunch of tape on whoever is going to be their opposition next time and that they get better. Acquiring Chris Sale kind of addresses more of the issue, which was that the Phillies found ways to hit Brave starters. And I don't think the Braves wanted to, to be starting Bryce Elder on, on like yeah. a key start. I don't think they wanted to see Bryce Harper tee off on Bryce Elder. Well, I don't think they wanted oh. to put him out there and be like, all right, well, our season is basically in your hands yeah. and you're our fourth or fifth starter. And, you know, we, we're not happy to be here either, but this is this is the deal. So in this case, you know, you got to f- figure a Max Freed is going to be healthier in, in 2024 as well. So, you know, the situation might be different, but what they're doing here is fortifying their pitching staff and being like, look, now we have another guy who we think could all season long prove that he's still a guy who can be a number three starter. And if he is, that's a huge asset for us. And all we had to give up was Vaughn Grissom, a guy we thought we could afford to give up. So I can see how the Braves got there easily that this was, this was a move to make. This was a, this was something that could work. And it, and I'm just fascinated by the very specific issue they face, where they're just like, look, we have, a, we put in all the cheat codes, we figured out how to play the game, we are getting the top score, and we're still losing. So, how, mm-hmm. again, that kind of feels almost like a hopeless spot, when all you can do is like, well, I guess we just wait a few months for baseball to start back up again, but like, other than that, what are we supposed to do? This feels like something you could do. It's a risk. Don't get me wrong. You know, there's a decent chance sale doesn't work out for them and isn't that guy who's available for them in the postseason when that time comes. But it's something they can do. So They're trying to cheat luck. They're trying to get around the unpredictable human aspect of baseball, of life. That's yes. what it is. And good like, luck with that. Exactly. Because you look at the Phillies 2008 championship and – if the Red Sox hadn't lost, you know, to the Rays, like the Phillies might not have gotten, might not have won the World Series that year. So, and, not- and so, like, it, it's everything has a ripple effect, and you don't know how it's going to affect the team until it actually happens. And the only thing these teams can do is just add more. But I, the contrast between them shows. A different type of um, of uh, of aspiration, and the different type of baseball teams there are because the Braves are like um, like a real estate company that also has a baseball team. Like I think they make a lot of money off of their real estate. Well, the Dodgers are a baseball team that is also like an internationally recognized like uh, boy band. <laughs> In a way. <laughs> I guess fair. I think yeah, <laughs> because the, if you look at the different things they did, the Dodgers, I mean, they both had the same question to answer. What do we do to get better than we were? How? And their answer was, we're going to, we're going to sign the best players on the planet and have them all here. Really? And now at the same time, we've been waiting for this moment for years. And now it is happening. It is here. And now, like, it's this. I think I've said it. This is the Dodgers' final form. Yeah. This is them. They're, I, I could make some kind of robot, uh, you know, giant robot analogy, but I can't because I have not really watched anything. 
I mean, why bring it up? But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just, because it's the only thing I'm thinking of. I'm just like, no, like this is like or some kind of Pokemon. Like this is the final form. Like the, if they don't win it, at least a World Series, and if they don't win two, like they don't win more than one. Like th- that's uh, they'll still make money hand over fist, but the perception of them will be a lot different. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. I mean, teams that are good seem to be the only teams making a lot of moves this offseason. The Royals made a little bit of noise with their, you know, Seth Lugo signing and a couple other guys they brought in. But whatever. Uh, In any case, most teams, most fans are waiting for their teams to make the move that's going to define their offseason. Dodgers fans aren't. Rays fans, not so much. But a lot of teams, uh, fans are still waiting for that moment. And as we wait for the Phillies to to do uh, to make their next move, uh, by the way, among like the top top team spending and free agency, the offseason has been slow enough that the Phillies re-signing Aaron Nola for $172 million puts them at like number three, I think, which is still funny to me. But in, in any case, hilarious. we will see how much weight the Phillies put in their minor league system and their, their, uh, their top prospects, whether they see them factoring into this year or the following year, or if they see them more as assets to be traded for people who can be more impactful with the team. Who knows? But like I said, Fangraphs was the latest outlet to uh, publish a list of top prospects of the Phillies. They released a list, a list of 26 top prospects. Uh, I will read off the top 10 for you now. Andrew Painter still at number one. Mick Abel at number two. Starlin Cabba at three. Then followed by Aiden Miller, Brian Rincon, Eduardo Tate, Justin Crawford, Ryan Kirkering, Alex McFarlane, and Michael Mercado. Now, your awareness of these people is, you know, in a lot of cases, based on your personal investment in Philly's prospects. Uh, I I will say that Justin Crawford has dropped a bit, and I've been reading mm-hmm. more about the flaws in his games recently. You didn't hear Griff McGarry's name. Griff McGarry on this list is down at number twenty-five. Whoa! So that is that is a on sizable the Phillies dip. list. Yes. Wow. That that's is, a sizable dip. That is a massive, whew, that's a whoopsie. And speaking of massive, it's still Andrew Painter at number one. Don't forget, he is six foot seven. That is Oh, I keep large... forgetting. He's like a giant human. Yeah, large guy. Uh, now, as we know, Painter is on the shelf, uh, having suffered a devastating injury, not a factor in 2023. Philly's got some criticism for waiting along. I believe he got, what, like plasma? injections uh, instead of getting Tommy John or platelet platelet injections rather than going with Tommy John off the bat uh, that gave him a chance to pit. They thought they might give him a chance to pitch at the end of the season that wound up not happening. He got Tommy John toward the end of July. His 2024 season is now a bunch of question marks. We all know the story or at least a version of the story that, you know, his he's at the moment healing more so than pitching. And yet, Fangraphs still put him at number one. And Eric Longenhagen uh... wrote. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a sign. I feel like, like you could look at that and be like, oh, that's a sign of what the Phillies have in their top ten. Or you can look at it as a sign of Andrew Painter is that special of a prospect. Very, very, very good. Yes. Now, as, as Longenhagen wrote, it's incredibly rare to value a prospect who will have missed two years this highly. But Painter has rare ceiling. Probably because they have to keep reconstructing it when he, you know, his head breaks through it. I can make I can make these jokes because I am also tall and he's taller than me, so I'm doing a little bit of a you know little little brother thing here. But in any case, uh, also he's like 17 years younger than me. Anyway, case uh, painter has rare ceiling and the success rate of Tommy John surgeries is high enough 
to anticipate that he'll return to his old self. I mean, this is like, I don't know, like people put different stock in different outlets, uh, measurements of prospects. I would consider this a Fangraph's specialty. It is always good to see these writers talking um, glowingly about your team's prospects. And just to see Painter still at the top of this list is... Whew. I mean, that's that's saying something. Like back to yeah. my earlier point, do you think this says more about the Phillies' prospects, or does this say more about Painter individually? I would say, considering what Eric said, and Eric is there, there aren't a lot of prospect writers I trust more than him. Other there, there may be like one or two, uh, and so like that is meaningful to me that he is looking so favorably on um, on Andrew Painter. I, I would like to think that it says something about his talent, you know, and like the success rate of Tommy John, like that struck me as like, you know, years, the surgery has gotten to the point where it sucks, but it's, it, you could return if you were good before, you could return and be just as good. If not, maybe a little bit better. So that's that's a, that's like an advance in medicine that I appreciate. Yeah, and it's nice that we're able to look at young pitchers and not view Tommy John as the devastating epitaph at the at the end, mm-hmm. you know, of an of an abbreviated career, and see it more as just like, yeah, look, it's almost better that he's having it now because it feels like you know a lot of pitchers wind up going through that. And having it earlier in your career is, I mean, I think scientifically, medically proven to be better than having to get it when, you know, you're pushing 30. So, I, I yeah, the Phillies could have a really special guy here. I just, boy, I can't wait to see him pitch in an yeah, impactful way. Yeah, my God. It, it 2025, which yeah. just seems like a made-up year. I mean, I, this is this is what has made the Phillies advancements with their rotation and like somebody like Ranger Suarez pitching as well as he did and Christopher Sanchez stepping up like he did last year, even more critical because the Phillies thought they were going to be getting help from their Andrew Painters and their Mick Abels and things just didn't work out that way, but they were able to rely on starting pitching and that ultimately, to take it back to our last topic, was a big reason why they were able to beat the Braves in the NLDS two years in a row. So, Yeah, like I... I... I put a lot of stock in the Phillies player evaluation and that there it it's got to be more than just luck that all these guys are able to come in and contribute at important times. Uh, you have to you want to attribute it to, you know, player evaluation and a combination of that and, you know, good statistics and, you know, management flexibility allowing rob thompson to do what he's supposed to do and make decisions on the fly using all the information that he's given like you hope that that's what it is because that means that type of luck will continue and and hoping and for me believing in that means i'm not all that scared about the bench situation at the moment i'm interested to see what they'll do i'm no longer scared yeah, I'm inter- I'm I'm interested. I'm intrigued. I'm 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 open to hearing the news. Right, that the Phillies are now looking to make uh, acquisitions that the health and success of their franchise do not hinge on. It, it puts you in a more relaxed state, or at least it it should or, oh, yeah. or could. That's you know, <laughs> be, be as hysterical as you want, but I do think that is at the end of the day the, the truth of it. Yeah, let's uh, all be happy we we could be hysterical over the bench bat instead of oh my god, who's leading our rotation? Yeah, exactly. 
So before we wrap up here, I just wanted to say uh, one thing real quick. If you haven't read Matt Gelb's story on The Athletic about Charlie Manuel yes. and his recovery from uh, a stroke, uh, it is definitely a, a terrific read. So go go, please read that. And, uh, you know, I've, I, he characterizes how Charlie Manuel is, is, you know, has to learn how to speak again, essentially. And he, he said he had to learn how to, how to curse again as he was watching the postseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, you know, I I had a relative who suffered a stroke and, and kind of went through the same thing where you, you watched him like talking to you in a conversation and, and he would either reach for a word that just wasn't there mm-hmm. or, or he struggled to pronounce it, uh, a word that he had pronounced a million times before. And the frustration was very real. And, and it was, yeah. you know, the impact is very it, it's a it's a long, tough road back. Uh, but the, the story, it gets characterized very well in the story. Uh, and it's very it's a heartwarming um, uh description of the situation of of manual's recovery and you know i just want to be able to say like hey everybody loves charlie manual best of best of luck in his recovery it sounds like it's going as well as it could be he talks about coming down to spring training uh, assuming the phillies would invite him i can't imagine they wouldn't invite oh my him God. But, like he just has to be in a place where he's able to communicate and and like be okay health-wise to get down there and that's that's what he's I think really focusing on right now. That's what's motivating him in his recovery. So best of luck to Charlie Manuel. Everybody yes. loves Charlie. I uh, just wanted it to mention that. Such a great article. My my grandfather suffered a stroke before he passed away. And uh, I, it was, you know, reading that about Charlie Manuel was very inspiring, you know, to see that yeah. he's like exactly the guy that he's always made himself out to be. Like, he's just completely genuine in this. He's willing to share parts of his life um, with the people that he knows who love him. Is is It's just such a, a lovely symbiotic relationship. It is. So I figured that'd be a nice note to go out on as we wait for the Phillies to do something. Something. Anything. <laughs> Like just, just honestly, I would say just do some mid-level thing to get people to just you know feed off that for a couple of weeks. Just some decoy, decoy yes, acquisition. Please. Just be like, oh, we lost the fanatics' head or something. And let people <laughs> talk about that for like a couple of weeks before they you know get up the nerve to actually make a move. But oh, until oh. then, uh, head on over to BillyPen.com/slash/HittenSeason for new episodes of Hitten Season as we talk about what little or what more the Phillies have to do this offseason. And don't forget to head on over to the Patreon at patreon.com slash hit and season for $5 a month. You get access to all kinds of additional Phillies commentary, which, you know, there's so much to talk about right now that why wouldn't you want to pay for more commentary? And don't forget to vote for Hitting Season as part of the Sports Podcast Awards. We are up for Best Baseball Podcast. So if you enjoy us and you consider us that, or if you don't and you just want to do us a solid, head on over to the Sports Podcast Awards. The link is in the tweet pinned to the top of my profile, as well as John's. Uh, and you'll, you'll see us tweeting about it during the day. So if you want to support us, which I assume you do, you're listening, uh, please go vote for Hidden Season. We really appreciate you listening, and we really appreciate your vote. From WHYY and Billy Penn, I'm Justin Clue. I'm Liz Rocher. And this has been Hidden Season.